you have found the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, we replay the sermon from our Sunday morning service so that anyone who may have missed the sermon can catch it later. We want to especially thank those of you who missed the sermon because you were working with our youngest children during the service time. This sermon was from August 14, 2022. The text was 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. Yeah, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. Not as far as it looks, because there's only a little bit more in chapter 3. But that's our passage for today, and as I was preparing for this morning, I was reminded of a time back when I was in elementary school. Now, my parents moved a number of times when I was in elementary school, so I think I think I went to five different elementary schools by the time I was in fifth grade, if I counted right. So I can't remember which, which school or which state this occurred in, but at this particular school, we had a music class, and all of the kids in my, in my class would go down to the music room once in a while, and the music teacher would lead us in various songs and do... I just remember singing songs. I'm sure there was a greater element to the curriculum than that. But the songs were often seasonal, and so near holidays or other times, we would sing songs pertaining to those holidays. And I'm remembering one child whose family, for religious reasons, did not celebrate any holidays or certain holidays. And so during those holiday times, every time we had music class, the teacher would ask that student to step into the storage closet while the rest of us sang our songs. And I mean, it was a big, a big closet like teachers have, and she left the lights on, I think. <laughs> but um, that's where the student spent his music class time while the rest of the kids were out there singing. And I don't, I don't say that to criticize the family or the teacher, for so- sure not. But I share this because in my mind as a child, when I was thinking about people's different religious beliefs, one of this was, oh, well, that family has this belief that you celebrate certain seasons by sitting in the closet. And that's, that is not accurate to the way they would have uh, characterized it. But, but I got to thinking, you know, even as an adult, I think we tend to group people's religious beliefs according to the rules they set for themselves or for their religious community sets. So, No, it was not accurate to look at this person and say, well, his family celebrates holidays in the closets, but but we do tend to group people like that. So, well, there's a group out there. They worship on Saturday and not on Sunday, and that's, that's how we kind of define them in our minds. Or there's a group that says that women have to wear dresses all the time. Or there's a group, a religious group out there that says you don't eat pork or that you don't play cards or whatever it might be. Some groups say, well, you have to be baptized by immersion. Or somebody would say you have to be baptized by immersion in a naturally flowing stream. There's all these different kind of rules. And our, our mental way of grouping people's religious beliefs tend to be by rules. And so one of the things as we, as we get ready to dive into our passage is I'd encourage you to think, how would people look at us? 
So if you meet somebody at work or, or out in the um, community somewhere, maybe some family members who don't attend church, or maybe you have children who are in sports and you're hanging out with other parents, whatever it might be for you, how would they, in private, talk about you? Oh yeah, they go to that church along 16, the one that has the rule that you have to or can't. What would that be for us? Because that tends to be how we classify in our minds, in our culture. So hold that thought in your brain. I think you can do that. And I want to go into our passage, and I think, if I manage to pull off what I want, you'll, you'll be able to see how that ties into our passage. But we'll deviate for just a moment as we, as we get into this. Several weeks ago, Jerry was in beginning of chapter 2, and he encouraged us to look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2 as kind of laying the foundation of not just his Sunday, but number of the Sundays that were coming up. As Paul was trying to say, that is sort of a foundational thought is that, well, I'll read it. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So then each week, as we have looked at some of the instructions that Paul gave to Timothy, we've kind of looked at it with this as the center. So Paul was giving some advice about how they should have their church services. But the goal of that advice was because he wants the church to work towards this idea that everyone would be saved and to understand the truth. Or, or Paul gave advice about leadership, he gave advice about prayer, and all of it was working from this same angle. He wants Timothy to help the church advance God's goal and God's desire that everyone would understand the truth and everyone would be saved. So our passage today actually continues, I think, in the same theme. This fundamental thought is at the root of what Paul is saying. He wants everybody to be saved. But he's addressing a different kind of advice to Timothy. And this, he's warning against a problem that can come up in the church. And so we're going to jump first to verse 1 of chapter 4. And Paul writes, he says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith, and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So false teaching is going to rise in the church sometimes, and Paul thinks this is pretty terrible. And, and it seems, I think it's safe to say, that Paul believes part of the reason it is so terrible is that because it is going to hinder people from being saved and understanding the truth. And that is deep on Paul's heart because it's deep on God's heart. So, so we have these words, these rather harsh words. What kind of false teachings are these people advocating? The kind of false teaching that Paul's talking about. They're very strong words, hypocrites, liars with dead consciences. And so if I'm reading this, or if you're reading this for the very first time, what, what comes next? You might think about huge orgies or human sacrifice or, well, what he says is they will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. So if you're like me, at least if, I don't know, you're not like me probably, but if you think occasionally like me, you might, you might say, wait a minute, Paul, here, I, you, you kind of ramp this up with some really harsh words and then you, then you say, well, what they're actually doing is they're saying it's wrong to marry or to eat certain foods. But Paul goes on and he explains himself to bring some clarity. He says, God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, 
We should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. But if I'm honest with you, when I was reading this and studying it and thinking about it, this left me just a little bit unsatisfied. I, I understand what he's saying. I can see that I can eat pretty much anything I want, and as long as I'm thankful and it's not poisonous, it's going to be fine. At least morally, it'll be fine no matter what, as long as I'm giving thanks to God. I get that. There's things I don't like to eat, but I don't have a moral conviction against it. So this, doesn't, this isn't a challenge for me. I understand what Paul is saying. But I got to thinking, you know, for somebody for whom it might be a challenge, is it really so bad? What if there's somebody who was reading the Old Testament, they were, they were studying what the rules that God had established for the people of Israel, and they saw that a bunch of the dietary laws that are contained in our Old Testament, and they said, well, I'm going to follow them too. Would that person be following deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons, which is the words that Paul uses? And that just felt harsh to me. And I know, I, I think about all the rules that churches make that we sort of, in our minds, classify them as. It's like this, this child's church. I don't know which group he was a part of. Um, but I got to thinking, you know, Paul's words are kind of strong, and well, eventually it began to click in my mind, and that's what I'm going to share with you. And this is just my current understanding. And if you, if you, if you have other thoughts, I would, I would appreciate hearing them too. But I think I'm going to jump back to the first verse in our passage for today, chapter 314, and show you how it began to flow in my mind as I, as I wrestled with the strength of Paul's words. And then, and then in a first glance, it seemed almost a little bit like what he was talking about wasn't as important as it seemed. But so, anyway, he says, he says, I'm writing these things to you. So what things is he writing? These instructions. If you remember what we've been talking about for the last weeks, the various instructions about worship services, about how to call and choose and, and, and know who's qualified to be good leaders in the church, which we talked about last week. He says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. And this is the church, the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So at this point, Timothy was a pastor in the church in Ephesus, as near as we understand from when this would have been written. Paul was between times in prison. He was currently at this writing free and doing some more missionary work, and he wanted to go see Timothy, wanted to encourage Timothy. I'm imagining him wanting to sit down and to hear about everything Timothy's dealing with, to give him encouragement and advice. But Paul knows life does not always go the way we want, so he says, I'm going to write him a letter just in case I can't get there. And I, at least, am glad he wrote this letter because we have it now. So, so Paul writes this, and he says why he's going to write. He says it's very important because people must know how to conduct themselves in the household of God. You see, the church is the way that God does his work throughout the world. So God's desire, as Paul mentioned earlier, is that everyone would be saved and know the truth. But the church is the way that God works to bring this about. So 
It's important for the people of the church to be able to live and conduct themselves in the way that God wants if we're going to be effective at doing the job, the mission that God has given for us. Uh, Paul uses a metaphor of an ambassador at times. If you're going to be a good ambassador and to represent a certain leader well, then you're going to have to conduct yourself in a way that represents that ambassador. And that seems to be the idea that Paul's saying. People must conduct themselves in the right way within the household of God. So that's why Paul is writing these instructions. He wants Timothy to understand this. And he goes on then in verse 16, and he writes, Without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. It's, it appears from everything I've read that people assume at least this was a hymn that would have been sung at, in Paul's time, something that Timothy would have probably been familiar with and Paul was. And so Paul is pulling an excerpt from this to capture the, the message that he wants to convey to Timothy. We don't have the broader context of this, but it's, it's poetry and it captures a, an immense amount of truth in just six English lines reminding us that Jesus is the center of our faith. And, and this is essentially the message of the church. We are out there to proclaim the news about Jesus because God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And God wants Jesus to be proclaimed to all nations, to believe it in throughout the whole world, and the church is going to do this. And so, and so in Paul's mind, he wants people to conduct themselves to live in the way that they need to in order to represent God well and accomplish this mission. And it's in that context that he then goes on and he, and he starts to go where we started. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, people will turn away from the true faith. And they will follow deceptive spirits. And teachings that come from demons, and these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. So, so Paul knows it's very important for people to live in the right way, but unfortunately, some people are going to give bad instruction, and that is really just makes Paul extremely uncomfortable. And so he is going to address this very real problem. And as I wrestled with this in trying to figure out why, why Paul himself was giving some good instruction about how they should live, and then he, and then he gets to this place, the nearest I can get here is that Paul is, Paul's not trying to rebuke people for giving bad advice about food. It seems that the problem arises when the false teachers try to present the idea that you have to eat a certain way if you want to know God. And he's not necessarily rebuking somebody who's, who's encouraging singleness or, or somebody who declines to get married. It's, the problem is people who say you cannot marry if you want to please God. The only way to please God is to stay single. That begins where the problem arises and why Paul responds with such strong, harsh words about these false teachers. So I want to go back and I want to read some of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians that might help clarify this so you can see if I'm on the right track. I'm pretty sure everything I'm saying is valid, but am I thinking the way Paul was thinking? But in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul was discussing the fact that some people feel that it's wrong to eat meat that was offered to idols and then sold in the marketplace. This is not a problem we have in our day, but it was some that people did then. And there were people who felt because this meat 
originated in this, this pagan situation that therefore followers of Jesus should never eat it. And there are other people who said, well, it doesn't really matter where the meat came from. It's just meat. You cook it. You eat it. And Paul seems to align more with that second group. It's okay to eat it. it the original source doesn't matter so much. But Paul cautions very strongly that we should be considerate of fellow believers. If they believe it's wrong to eat that food, Paul says, then for them it is wrong. And I'll read directly from the passage. Paul goes on in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 8 and says, And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do things they believe is wrong, then you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. He says similar things in Romans 14 if you want to study it out. But I I just was reminded of this because in this case, Paul does not rebuke people who feel it's wrong to eat certain foods. In fact, he indicates we should be considerate of them. And he almost suggests that we should conform to their consciences. That makes us uncomfortable, but you can, you can read it. So later, when Paul writes to Timothy in our passage for today about certain people who, who are saying that it's wrong to eat certain foods, and Paul speaks with really great passion about how evil this is, it seems it must be more than just people who say, I can't eat that with a clear conscience. And actually, there's a similar kind of thing on the marriage front. Also in 1 Corinthians, in this case in chapter 7, Paul writes that it's often best to stay single, to be able to focus on God without the distractions of married life. And Paul indicates that this is his own personal situation. He also says that it's fine and good to marry, and then he kind of says, okay, actually, either is good. Both are truly good and blessed choices. So that's where he's at in 1 Corinthians, and then we read in, in his letter to Timothy that Paul says those people who are forbidding marriage are, are hypocrites and liars with dead consciences. I think he has much more in mind than some people who are saying, well, there's value in singleness, because Paul himself had said that. I think what Paul is speaking against are people who set up lists of rules and say, these are things that you must do in order to be pleasing to God because Paul knows that we can never be pleasing to God by following rules. So if, if in your heart, if you, if you prayerfully come to a place and you just, I can't do that, you say, I can't eat this meat in the case of the people in Corinth, or, or today somebody says, I just can't go to a restaurant on Sunday, I don't think Paul would be concerned by this. I think he'd say, treat those people with respect, actually even let your actions conform to their consciences as much as possible. But when you go a slightly different route, but a very important difference is when you say, if you want to be accepted by God, these are the lists of rules you have to follow. At that point, Paul gets extremely upset because then we are distributing a false gospel, a false understanding of how people can come to know and be in a relationship with God. It's not through the rules, it's through Jesus, and Paul knows that is so important. And so Paul is always keeping in his mind this big goal that he wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth, and he wants everyone to have a relationship with God. So we are saved by grace, through faith, not by our works, and yet people love rules. I don't know if you've noticed that in life. People seem to love rules. 
people like to rank themselves, and one of the ways that we rank ourselves is by who is best at following the rules. Paul knows that there have been, there are, and there always will be people who will seek also to gather a following by promoting certain rules. You might have seen that. Somebody starts preaching a certain message and, and, and says, if you want to be part of this group, you can't do this or you have to do that. And people begin to gather around that person. And Paul has really strong words for this people. He says, they follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. Others, I think, fall into this situation, but more innocently. So perhaps a man is struggling with a particular area of faithfulness in his life. He sets some boundaries to help him to follow Jesus well, and he finds these boundaries helpful for him. So he shares this advice with others. And so far, I think we're good. And yet, because as humans, we tend to love rules, it's very easy for this, this helpful advice to soon become a requirement in that community. You have to do this, otherwise you don't know God. And at that point, Paul, Paul is upset because we know God and we have a relationship with God through Jesus and never through some rules. Actually, there are, of course, people who fail completely the other direction. It's worth noting, remember Linford's passage from last week, Paul said that church leaders should not be addicted to wine. Maybe you've seen a situation in which a church leader has become addicted to something, wine or anything, and the horror in a church community when a leader becomes, um, begins to act outside of appropriate boundaries. We see this in many different situations. So there are boundaries that are, are necessary for us to properly represent Jesus as his ambassador and when we get rid of all boundaries, then we no longer represent Jesus well. And again, God's work, God's desire that everyone be saved becomes hindered. So, so you can fail in either direction, but I think I'll at least propose the idea that we often as people fall on the side of making too many rules. Because when we make rules that we get followers, we can define ourselves, this is our group and you're out there, or we can rank ourselves. I think that's why Paul warns Timothy so strongly against those who will make up rules to attract followers with those rules, and in the process, they hinder the work of Jesus. So I wasn't sure how to close this out. We're going to talk about some of this a little bit more next week in a way. Uh, chapter 6, Paul addresses some false teachers even more, so maybe most of the application we'll let for then. For right now, think about what rules would people see in your life, if they're watching you? Are they ones that are, are helping you to be faithful to Jesus, or are you letting that become the way that you think you earn God's, God's favor, or that you earn your relationship with God? So, so let the Spirit speak to you, but one, maybe one small challenge as I close. The one really insidious thing about this whole topic is that it's very easy for people, for all of us, for me, to think that any, any rules in my life are always the right ones, and everybody else's rules, those are always the wrong ones. I think it's important for us to admit this tendency to fail for our own selves and to be in relationship with people. We need people to correct us and guide us so that together we can serve God and know him well. And to avoid some of the problems that Paul is concerned about. Always keep Jesus as the center of our faith. That's where he belongs. And remember God's heart desire. God wants everyone to be saved 
and to understand the truth. You have been listening to the Trestler Mennonite Sermon from August 14, 2022. The passage was 1 Timothy 3:14 through 4, 5. Take care.